Hello, I'm AK Benedict, and you are listening to the Sirens of Audio. Incoming message from Cyber Control. Decoding. Message received. Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. Huh? G'day audiophiles, you are listening to the Sirens of Audio and you're watching it too. This is the podcast that explores the universe of Doctor Who and the audio medium. My name's Dwayne. And my name's Philip. G'day Dwayne, g'day audiophiles. G'day Philip. What an exciting episode we've got today. Our first chat with a member of Torchwood. Yes, it's been a long time coming getting Torchwood. We've done lots of other bits and pieces. Yeah, the first of many Torchwood episodes coming up i'm sure it is about time so because uh, that monthly range as i've said a few times before on the podcast i went off torchwood a little bit but i was brought back in and i've been going back and looking at some of the monthlies that i've missed and some of the most recent stuff i mean james goss has been delivering month after has he written everyone this year pretty uh, much it must, almost <laughs> it feels like it's been everyone it's, it's him again this month i think he's probably one of big finish's most versatile writers particularly with torchwood uh in this in this format uh it's an incredible incredible thing and it's great to be able to to have tom price on today a little bit later but you know what i think i think i usually about this time see a rabbit hole but I can't see one today, Philip. Oh, really? No rabbit hole, Dwayne? No rabbit hole. Oh, okay. So what I thought I'd do with you is have a little chinwag about Torchwood, the TV series, because I don't think you and I have actually spoken too much about it uh, and what our thoughts on it are, whether we enjoyed it, whether uh, whether we didn't. So I'm curious to know uh, your background with Torchwood. Were you excited when this spin-off came out in the first place? Yes, when I heard Torchwood was coming out, I was very excited. The cast lists were looked amazing, um, particularly Indira Vara, who I really love. And they actually, that was all a fake. Russell faked the whole, one of the cast members and all her bio and everything. And she was as big as anyone else. And then he killed her in the first episode, scumbag. Um, he did but, bring her back for one. Uh, yes, and she's been back on audio too now, which is even better. Yes. She's amazing. But um, yeah, no, I was very excited to see it, and the cast looked amazing. Um, I've always loved Captain Jack and John Barrowman. So yeah, so when I first heard, I was excited. What, what did you think when you first heard? Yeah, I was excited as well, because that, that whole arc with, uh, with the hand and with, um, with that potential of him coming back, you know, with him being resurrected by Rose, what was happening with that? There was a lot of mystery about Captain Jack in that first series, like what? that we didn't know there's a lot of established history now that we didn't know at the time so i was very very curious about that um as for the more adult storylines i was gonna say uh, so what did you see when you first started seeing it what was what was your impression then yeah i was a little bit i knew it was coming but it still took me aback you know so this is the doctor who universe it's still very obviously the doctor who universe but to get that in a more adult format i mean they didn't they didn't swear a great deal throughout um, uh, the early TV series, so that I can remember. But they did that first f bomb that they dropped. It was like, oh, oh this they is did a, for the first few episodes. This is an f bomb in in a doctor in the Doctor Who universe. So it kind of, yeah, it kind of struck me a little bit as strange. Um, but yeah, I could I could accept it for what it was. That it was you know that sidestep away from from Doctor Who, and um, I I actually really enjoyed the first season and there's a lot of stick for some of the ep- one episode in particular gets a lot of stick and that's cyber woman and I, I actually really enjoyed that episode i did at the time i've gone back and looked at it i can be more critical now but i i can say honestly at the time i did i did like that one um I th- which one I, cyber woman 
Oh, Sawan. Oh, that's atrocious. That's the worst episode ever. Well, yeah. So you <laughs> say, I, I, I've got to say, I did like it at, at the time. Um, it's not. It's, I mean, Torchwood is is not a series I go back to on TV very often. I think I've looked at a couple of episodes if they might be related to something we're recommending on the podcast. I'll go back and look at something on BritBox or something like that, but I don't dig the DVDs out very often. Um, but yeah, I th- those first two seasons in particular, uh, I really enjoyed it. I loved Martha coming back in season two, so that was really good. What was what was your impression of all the characters? Uh, they were quite quite different characters to get used to in a Doctor Who universe. They really were. I mean, I thought they were introduced really well. I, I do think um, the first episode that Russell wrote was typical Russell. It was brilliantly done. I did find that a bit too much blood and just a bit too much swearing in that first episode. And then later oh, right on... Oh, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, was, it was over the top. And I think Russell would admit now that they were trying to make a mark and they probably overdid the sex, the blood and the swearing to start with. And then they worked out, actually, this show didn't need that. I mean, it wanted to be adult and I've got no issues with it in part, but it was just over the top uh but that being said it was still a brilliant idea that that first episode i still think is a classic episode of any tv in terms of introducing characters and introducing jack and it's it's shot so beautifully and all the scenes of jack on top of the buildings um wales has never looked so beautiful cardiff has never looked so stunning and you know like yeah when i took the family over to great britain recently you know we went to wales deliberately to spend time there because it was such a lovely place. It's part of what we did. But but I, yeah, I really enjoyed season one and two a lot and I was disappointed that they didn't go for a third full season. But certainly um, Children of Earth, that, that third season that they did that in five days, over five days, is an emotional, devastating piece of work. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever been quite so shell-shocked by a piece or maybe the last last episode of Blake Seven, but in terms of shell shock, is amazing. What do you think, of Children of Earth? For me, Children of Earth, yeah, I really enjoyed it, but it was like I, I can't describe it. Kind of twisted me up <laughs> with uh, with all these unusual emotions. Like I really loved it. It was compelling. It dragged me in, but it was like almost bitter a, a, as a piece of entertainment for me. It was really really dark and. Uh, it was, yeah, very shocking, I guess. This is the one where, where Yanto dies, right, at the end of it. Uh, Yanto dies at the end of episode four. There's still another episode after that. Right. Where, uh, no spoilers, but there's a pretty awful ending for some of Jack's family. Yes. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long not. time since I've seen it. Uh, but, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. When Miracle Day came along, uh, I really tried to get into this, but... I did not enjoy Miracle Day. Perhaps it was too... It, it, to have all those American characters in there, it sort of took away a bit from the authenticity for me. And it seemed really long and drawn out. Even though it was 10 episodes, it was less than the first two series. But it was a single story. It was really, really long, and it seemed really drawn out to me. And, and um, yeah, I just I just didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy it. I've, I've not seen it since uh, I first saw it all those years ago. I I thought Miracle Day was very clever. I thought the concept behind what it would, I, I never thought before what would it be like if no one died, and then you actually saw actually if people didn't die. It would be awful. Like death is important in our world, and to have no one dying, what would happen to the population? What would happen to all sorts of issues? What I thought was just an amazing thing to explore, and as only Russell could. I like the fact that the story was actually still quite linear because it was ten episodes. But you had, you know, all of episode two was set on a plane trip. And, you know, the entire thing was on a plane with a couple of scenes backwards and forwards. But really, that was where the action was. There was a whole episode that was all set in the past. So it was progressive storytelling. And I actually, I, actually, I enjoyed the scale, the fact that Tortoise was beyond just Wales and it was actually global. I, I enjoyed. So, it, yeah, it, it wasn't as strong as the first couple of seasons. It was different. It was once you bring the that American money in, it, it did change the feel. But I still loved it. Yeah, I, I you did. Torture, yeah, I did. Okay. I, I think I think Torture was a very very clever show. 
and explored some amazing themes and was able to give you creatures and baddies that Doctor Who couldn't do. I mean, the whole, whatever, the, I forget, there's a 2047 or whatever, whatever the number was in Children of Earth for the, the alien. The, the concept of an alien that doesn't want to invade you but just wants your children because they get high on your children as a drug. It was sort of, uh -huh. <laughs> truly yeah, awful. It's pretty heavy, yeah. isn't it? Russell, what sort of brain do you have, for goodness sake? <laughs> yeah, but... Um, the world's then, a better place with Torchwood. Then came along the the audio adventures. And, yeah, I really got into those first monthly releases. that came, Were they monthly at first? Or did they just release a few to see to test the waters? And then they came out more regularly after that. That's right, yeah. Um, they, and, they, brought uh, out, they brought out six in the first block. So they're sort of a season of six. Yeah. And another season was six, and then since then they've been monthly. Yeah. And then they've done a few uh, audio seasons. So they've done Torchwood season six and season seven. Uh, and I think there's, from what I've heard, there's even more that have been written. But whether they'll get done uh, down the track is still to be uh, still to be decided. Um, so, and, and the monthly range is still continuing with those small, they're sort of, they're almost like, companion chronicles aren't they but they're but they're they're full cast so full cast in that they are like two handers Four or five or, people yeah yeah they are really really inventive and uh, like we said at the outset james goss is probably the the lead writer on on the torchwood range and does an incredible job i i love how torchwood can explore things in very different ways but also its style can keep changing and so you'll have the horror then you'll have comedy then you'll have bizarre. You're never quite sure what you're going to get. And once again, the characters are just so important. And so you just keep seeing this play of characters. But yeah, once again, they've introduced their own characters along the way. You've got Queen Victoria now as a major figure who keeps reappearing. Um, you've got the Samuel Barnett character, which I've... Uh, Norton. Uh, so you, they've introduced people along the way and now they keep coming in recurring now. Then and also got back Torchwood to, 1 as well. Torchwood 1 with, with Yvonne Hartman. Yeah. That's so that's been interesting too. All right. Well, that's uh, interesting to get your thoughts. And based on that, I might have to go back to Miracle Day and give it another assessment, I think, because it's been a, been a long time since I've seen it. So you've, you've kind of swayed me. <laughs> well, I think we should have a chat with Tom Price. What do you think? Sounds good. Let's throw in a trailer of one of his episodes of Torchwood and we'll be back with him in just a moment. Good morning. Mind if I join you? What? Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Torchwood. Ghost Mission. Sergeant Davidson. Andy. Please, my friends call me Andy. I'm Norton Folgate, Torchwood Assessor. Here's my card. Torchwood has business cards. They did in my day. Huh? I've been appointed to see if you're ready to join the new Torchwood. What? Gwen has finally decided to let me in. <laughs> this is a day all about you. I've been sent here to assess you. I've come all the way from 1953, so you may have to fill in a few gaps. 1953? Well, that's just how we do it sometimes. Guarantees impartiality. Also, it means I can't interfere. I'm... well... Oh my God, you're a ghost! <sighs> 2016, yes? You have holograms and nano-printers, don't you? Yeah, And a ghost, he says. Open mind, Sergeant. Now then, ready? Uh, oh, actually, I quite fancy the loo. Can I just... Tough. Test due to start in... Ooh, now. Big finish. We love stories. Sergeant Andy Davidson, we are on. Tonight we have with us actor, stand-up comedian, radio presenter and podcaster, Tom Price. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, what a pleasure to be here, and tonight, and yet it's not tonight at all, it's it's very much this morning, it's 9.33 in the morning with me. I've just dropped my kids off at school, so I'm elated. Well, it depends when people are listening. So we, we can't expect anyone to be turning on at 9.33 in the morning for them, or for, for us it's 8.33, it depends on the world where you are, I guess. So, day, everyone, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome. When is, when is the best time to listen to a podcast? It's, it's the evening, isn't it? It's an evening thing. Oh, no, my, my family time's evening. I tend to do it when I'm walking in the morning. Oh, yeah, my main. Good. But, yeah. yeah. Commuting, you're, commuting. You're, you're a podcaster. When do you want people to listen to you? Yeah, I am a podcaster. Um, I do a thing called My Mate Bought a Toaster, which is all about um, Amazon shopping history. So I guess I want people to listen to me just constantly, 
Philip, constantly. <laughs> I need I need the numbers. I want people to be playing. I want people to buy a smart speaker, put it in their spare room in their house, and just have it playing My Mate Bought a Toaster constantly. Well, I would have jumped your numbers up by a couple today, because I've been yes! listening to <laughs> Yes! I, uh, I did listen to a couple of... Julian Clary one was hilarious. Mm. And I was listening to one with a couple of teachers as well. So I've been listening to your... Can I just Great. say, where, where did you get the idea of asking people for their Amazon history? Yes, well, so, well, I would love to tell you that um, it's an idea that I had myself and I'm a genius, but my wife, uh, she worked in TV format development for 20 years and uh, she came home from work one day and said, we've had this idea and no one wants to do anything about it. What do you think? And I was like, oh my God, that's a podcast. You get, you, you, the, the thrill of logging into a celebrity's uh, Amazon account and just being able to idly browse through their lives is like nothing else. And um, it's funny, people, people, guests just spontaneously laugh when you say why have you bought julian clary for example 36 door wedges door stoppers you know the little triangle why have you bought those and he's like ah oh, well i've got ocd and um the flower pots the flower pots on my wonky window sills weren't straight so i've had to use the wedges to stra- and you just you just end up in these wonderful moments of autobiography um and it's just an absolute joy i love it but have you ever found stuff that they wouldn't want you to tell? I mean, have you ever found stuff that you thought, you can't talk about that? No, honestly, no. The most the most tricky moment has come a couple of times when people have had stuff they bought with an ex, and they're sort of telling a story about something they got up to with an ex, like things they used to do with an ex, and it's not that they feel like it's not their story to tell. It's not right that they should tell the story about an ex. So that's happened a couple of times, weirdly. But in terms of... Uh, you know anything rude and stuff no it's just not happened everyone's very open and happy to be honest I think it's part of the course when you do the podcast you know that there's going to be a bit of that yeah it's been a uh, it's a brilliant format and as I said I've been listening to a few episodes and just laughing and laughing and stuff like I mean Julian Clary being into real life murders and horror I mean dreadful evil stuff he's into going that's weird (laughs) yeah 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 I mean when you say he's into them Exactly. There you go. Um, that's why I want my listeners to think. Good. I'm not the only person who loves murders in real life. You know, it, there, there's all these things you find out about people that are just um, whether it's Julian Clary uh, being a bit murdery, whether it's um, Alex Horn from Taskmaster um, is obsessed with hot tubs. You know, all these things that you know he's never talked about any of that in an interview before. And I spotted that he'd bought hot tub cleaner on his Amazon. He was like, "Oh Christ, you've got me." Box. And he didn't want people to know that he had a hot tub because it's seen as very decadent to have a hot tub. And he wants to be a man of the people. Uh, and now I've uh, I've cracked him wide open, man. I'm like a tabloid journalist. I've got him. I've got him. I've skewed him. Okay, so we're hoping to crack you a bit today. So- what's, the, what's the most unusual thing you've bought on Amazon? My Amazon purchase history. Um, well, I did do that as a Christmas special one year. Um, I think the weirdest thing I've got. I mean, I, it's probably the greatest hits of Britney Spears on DVD. Oh, I'm honest. That is quite yeah. weird. It's quite weird, yeah. I just bought it because I really liked Britney Spears. I just, <laughs> just used to sit and watch it on DVD. Well, she's been freed this week, so that was good news for her. Exactly. Now she'll finally get the royalties from my purchase 20 years ago. About time. <laughs> so listen, tell us a bit about your past. Where did, where did you grow up? Because I, 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 you are Welsh, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I am Welsh. And uh, Torchwood fans will, will uh, know that from the Welsh accent because it's a kind of a... Um, Natural Welsh accent. I, that, you know, I, I I grew up on uh, the border with England, where everyone really the local accent is kind of like a hybrid of Forrester Dean, which is English, and like Newport, which is obviously South Wales. So there's this weird kind of local accent. And I went to a, I was in how can I put this the right side of the tracks. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a posh knob. I went to an all boys boarding school, so I had any Welsh accent beaten out of me by um, teachers when I was younger. So I don't have a natural Welsh accent, but um, I grew up in South Wales. Yeah, just by I mean by I would say a, a, a mile and a half away from England. So I'm assuming never learnt Welsh. No, we didn't do we didn't do Welsh in schools. Um, elsewhere in Wales they do, but not at our school. No. Oh, you'll be too old for that now. Mm, I know my brain won't have the elasticity to to learn a new language. It's a shame, isn't it? But Welsh is a beautiful language, and loads and loads of people are taking it up. In fact, there's a TV program uh, where loads of Welsh celebrities start speaking Welsh. Maybe I should do that because it's um it would be great to have it, and it's more and more popular. It's as popular as ever. Hmm. Now, as I researched you a bit, as I said, mm. I introduced actor, stand-up, radio presenter, podcaster. Those seem to be the four things you're doing at the moment but you're doing all of them what yeah. which, which one would you say is your number one 
Oh, I don't know, Philip. I can't decide. <laughs> I think um, whatever I'm doing, I really, I do, I love acting. I really, really love acting, especially doing um, Sergeant Andy. Um, I think just the chance to, and I, the one common thing that across all of those different side hustles is just I love crafting good stories and good jokes. I love a good joke. I love writing a good joke. I love making a joke land as Sergeant Andy. I love performing a joke on stage. I love doing a link on the radio with a good joke. I love talking to people and connecting with people on podcasts and 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 making good jokes there. So I think the satisfaction of just finding a funny and and making it land is the one thing. So in my in answer to your question, I like all of them equally. <laughs> Like my children. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I've got a favourite child. No, no. Oh, don't we all? We don't, we don't admit that. Okay. Well, I would say I don't have, I, I, I don't have a favourite child, right? But at any moment, at any given moment, I can tell you who my least favourite child is. <laughs> I let my children play it out. They can all win my affection and be my favourite if they want to be. All right. So, yeah, good, good. Make it a competition. It's good. Yeah, um, it's good for them. There, so there, was one, there was one thing that stood out to me when I was looking up a bit of info on you too, was that you once did a pilot for a UK remake of Bewitched. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I played the boyfriend to uh, Sheridan Smith's version of uh, of The Witch. I've forgotten her name now. And uh, Francis de la Tour was in it. Joe Trichini was in it as well. Yeah, it was uh, done in front of a live studio audience. Um, and it was crap. <laughs> it was Sadly. really... It was really, cast. really crap. Great cast. The script was... I mean, it's not the fault of the writers. It was a It was a process where... This is going back 15, 16 years now. Um, just so many executives were involved and meddling with it and, and trying to make it as mainstream, BBC One, 8pm as possible, but it just lost any edge or any jokes or any... Yeah, it just didn't work. It did not work. It was such a shame. And we were waiting to hear about whether or not that had been commissioned for about a year just kept hearing nope no word yet no word yet for ages and ages and ages and eventually i mean technically guys i still haven't heard so there's a chance it could I, it still might get away yeah fingers crossed so at that stage sheridan uh, probably wasn't as big as she is now oh she was uh, still pretty famous she was in a she was in a show called two pints of lager and a packet of crisps and she was okay. famous for that so she was very very well known and much loved uh she certainly wasn't the the scale that she's got to now she's like national institution level now because of her formidable talent i mean she's unbelievably good she's unbelievably good um but back then she was she was a very famous well-known actor yeah but now she's kind of a level above that with your stand-up shows the little bits i've seen you come across really natural just like storytelling it almost feels made up on the spot i'm assuming it's really tightly prepared yeah. <laughs> and written yes well some stand-ups some stand-ups go on stage and they do they 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 write their material on stage they walk up there and go i've got the kind of this vague idea about the noise a washing machine makes i wonder if there's anything in that and they've got one half observation about it and then they stand on stage and they kind of riff and i can't do that because i'm an absolute coward that's the main thing you know in order to be a good stand-up you've got to learn how to die on stage and those guys are very good at that they will go on stage and they will stink it out and get funnier by through pain funniness through pain um but my decision is to do the painful process at home alone where no one can see it happening and uh yeah i i, cry, I, I write it pretty tightly at home pretty tightly so how do you know something's funny uh that's a good question gigging doing lots and lots of gigs you know uh any stand and i've done fewer gigs in the last couple of years because kids and my radio job but i have um you know you have to just go on stage and stand there and throw things throw things at the audience metaphorically speaking and you start to work it out you you know you do enough gigs you know we're talking four five six nights a week for 10 years you develop a almost supernatural ability to know what an audience will and won't like and that stays with you for life i still now know i i just know i will always know if something's going to be funny or not i don't have any doubt at all and that's from years and years of stand-up so you obviously have writing experience have you ever thought about writing drama I would love to, and I've been I've been asked to write um, some stuff for Big Finish, and I will get around to it eventually. I find it very difficult. I've got ADHD, so I find it very difficult to sit down and concentrate and get something done. So I am always sort of uh, battling that at the moment. But um, yeah, it's something I would like to do. I, I find you know what though, I find writing dialogue. I can think of plots and I can think of jokes, but di good dialogue is so hard to make it land, to make it sound natural, and make it compelling. And you know, the Big Finish stuff is. People like James Goss, they're just amazing at it. They make it seem so effortless. Absolutely brilliant. 
James is a freak. He's you know month he's after month after month. He's just producing he's these amazing stories. I'm just thinking, I yeah. don't know how he's doing it. It's and if you look at him on Twitter, he seems to be living uh, in Turkey, in some sort of cave in Turkey at the moment. I've missed that. But okay. <laughs> yeah, he's living. He's got, he's living in a house that's being renovated, and it looks completely run down uh, in Turkey. That's where he is right now. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> So as a child, I mean, I wasn't going to ask you whether you had ADHD, but listening to you, I was suspecting you may have done. Yeah. Um, just yeah. Because your, your energy levels and your vibrance, which is both the blessing and the curse yes, of, the, yes. of, the, of the situation. So as a child, what was it known? Was ADHD known when you were a kid? No, no not really. No, ADHD is still seen as this kind of, um, it's still seen as a uh, rather cliched sort of, um, misbehaving um oh look butterfly kind of thing you know there, that's there's that sort of um there's that kind of uh uh misconception about it and it's not like that it is it it, it does come with high energy but it's just a, an inability to focus and concentrate and a thousand thoughts sort of bombarding you all the time and it's something i've only really cottoned onto in recent years to be honest um and one of the things when you when you go through a process of getting diagnosed one of the um doctors who do it say can you send us your school reports? Which is obviously like the idea of someone with ADHD finding the concentration and time to go over there and get that thing done and open up the box or go home to my mum's house and open up the box. Like, it's just never going to happen. Your brain's just spinning out the whole time thinking of something else. But I managed to do it. And an important part of ADHD diagnosis is that you've always had it. So it's not something that started when you were 30 or started because you've got a phone and you're always looking at your phone. It's something you must always have had as a kid. And all my reports just have to feature the word concentrate and attention. Like, it's unbelievable. Going right back. And it's not like I did badly at school, I did fine at school, because I sort of battled through it. But they all say he would do so much better if he could just sit still, if he could just concentrate. I, I poured for 20 years. Right. So it was, it was one of my big focuses was, was boys' education and ADHD. Mm. Because, um, you know, I, th- I think... Out here in Australia, people got onto it a lot, lot earlier, yeah. um, and often the first reaction out here is just to drug people. And yes. my my reaction was always to try and avoid that because I actually thought you, we could find other activities to stimulate them, to keep yes. them moving. To because I I was always um sometimes some people need it. If you need your medication, take it. Yes. But there are other things that you can do that actually can actually occupy you. And yeah, I just found yeah, said the boys will run around the oval. And, you know, often the principal would say, what are they doing? I said, oh, they just need a run. <laughs> they'll come back and, they and they'll do some it. more. And, and that's what yeah. they need. And doing well, this things is, like that. Yes, this is exactly right. And it's also, it's, it's very, very hereditary as well. My, I've got two boys and my eldest has definitely got it as well. And uh, he just has to run it. He's eating and he has to stand up and run around the kitchen before he eats. And he's nine years old. This isn't a young three-year-old crazy thing. This is, he's nine and it's what he does. And I, I've been reading up a lot about it recently and... I saw I saw one beautiful video on Instagram. There's loads of great accounts that talk about it, uh, and there's a lot of ADHD awareness in this country now. It's landing, it's arriving, and you're right to talk about the medication thing. And I'm, I don't take medication for it personally, and I know it does work for a lot of people. But there are ways around it without medication for me. Um, but one of these uh, Instagram accounts described it as a superpower, and I think that's wonderful because it is. It's a superpower, and this is what I'm now getting to tell my child instead of me when I was when I was a kid. I was told, really told off a lot. You know, people with ADHD learn to hate themselves. They really do because you are not comfortable because you're told externally by all the adults in your life, stop, sit down, why are you doing it? Like, really, there's real anger and it's a real abrasive um, conflict. And to now be able to say, this is a superpower, it's a thing you've got, it's, it's okay. You know, sometimes sometimes you are going to annoy people. Don't worry, it's not you, it's this thing. Um, it was lovely. It was a nice moment to be able to say to my nine-year-old, "This is a superpower. This thing. Don't worry about it. this. is going to This is going to stand you in good stead." Um, so I'm very grateful for that. Definitely. So how did you get into acting? How where, where did acting fall into your life? Well, I started. Um, I started wanting to be an actor when I was uh, probably about six years old, and I watched my brother in a school play, and I remember um, the girl he was on stage with I can't remember what the play was didn't know any of her lines <laughs> all the parents there and they were like 18 years old and when you're six years old and you're watching no he was 16 he was 10 years older than me and when you're watching these um these kids who are 16 that's adult world to you I was in the professional theater as far as I was concerned as a six-year-old I was watching a, a professional show and she didn't know any of her lines and she just, she just the whole time going line 
da, 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 line and she was just getting cued getting prompted throughout the whole thing and I found and I could sense the awkwardness and I had this whole kind of cocktail of uh, of intoxicated cocktail of wow look at my brother he's so cool on stage yeah I idolized him so that's cool the thrill of knowing that all the adults in the room are finding this excruciating I could tune into that at six years old so I find that incredibly thrilling and also thinking I could do this better which is something which motivates a lot of people I think in acting and comedy they watch someone and go this is great but I could do this better or, or here's what I would bring to the table and at six years old I remember very distinctly thinking here's how I would do that so uh, that was it from that point on I started talking about wanting to move to London to go and uh, go to drama school in London which I didn't do in the end um, but I talked about it all the time and it was all I wanted to do that was it the end done no, no other thing is ever still at 41 years old it's just you know too late now obviously but that's it done so you had lots of different bits and pieces in acting jobs like yeah. you've got a pretty large selection of shows you were in but at the whole time that you're doing that you're earning a living through stand-up is that your main yeah maker? yeah uh, stand-up is, is has done alright for that over the years yeah it's it's like a it's a bit like a day job at night. Um, so that's good. And there's all sorts of, you know, you, you have to build a kind of portfolio of side hustles. So I do voiceovers and I do adverts as well with acting, which can be quite good. Um, stand up and then radio came along as well. So all sorts of bits and bobs, yeah. So how did um, PC Andy come along? Well, I was doing a sketch show called Swinging in the UK on Channel 5, which was a, quite a low budget, but really good fun comedy sketch show about relationships and it involved all sorts of random scenarios which many many uh of those sketches would now be thoroughly cancelled um but it was uh it was a lot of fun and we were sort of filming you know eight sketches a day it was insane how much we were filming and we were completely frazzled and this is back in 2005 or six um and it's what i had grown up doing i'd done sketch shows at edinburgh i knew how to do sketch comedy and i loved it um and then i got an email from my agent saying there's a doctor who spin-off happening do you want to go in for it and i just yeah fine okay welsh fine great so i went in in the waiting room i realized it had to be you know proper natural welsh so i decided to do an impression of my ex's dad a man called lionel um so i thought i'd just do him and um it was with andy Pryor. And I just went in and did 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 these couple of scenes which I'd learnt. But it's because I was in the middle of doing this sketch show for Channel 5 that I didn't have any time to get nervous. I didn't have any time to get distracted. You know, the ADHD thing. I just kind of went, right, fine, I fell into it because I was so exhausted from doing this other show. I just gave a really good audition, which can sometimes happen. All the all the noise clears. <laughs> just You're just pure. And you just go, boom, there you are, that's what I do. And I just presented this version of him and and off the back of one audition I got it and that was that now at the time was it just going to be one or two episodes yeah at the time it was going to be in one series he was going to be in three episodes at the beginning and then I believe they were going to kill him off either at the end of the first series or maybe the second series there was a plan to bring him back in and and kill him off um and thank god for Russell T Davis I mean I'm no I'm not the first person to say thank god for Russell T Davis but really it's just like I have um ludicrous levels of gratitude to that man uh yeah he said no let's keep him going there's something in this and i think i think that that one of the things i brought to it was um there's a thing that happens when you have the direct when directors come and you have different random directors directing the show it's not always the same person for the whole thing and some directors in the early days of a show will look at the cast and say that's my core those four people and these people like the random policemen are peripheral and I don't really care, and I'm not going to give them any effort. They're not going to do rehearsals. We're not going to talk about their character. We're not going to work out chemistry. And then along comes an actor like Eve Miles, who knows that every single scene has to have belief and meaning and depth to it, even a scene with her, you know, easily two-dimensional two-dimensional kind of character. She's like, no, we need to make this a thing. And I remember filming a scene on a bridge with her, for a drift I think and she gave it so much thought and I was like I couldn't believe how much effort and kind of depth she was giving it and I obviously followed enthusiastically and got this chemistry with her and then also there's just a couple of moments where I just took the piss just kind of I just gave I just gave a, a bit more from Andy you know like 
shrugs and moments and just a bit more life that a director in the moment directing that show would go, yeah, fine, okay, fine. And it would sort of end up by stealth in the show. And then people, those little, oh, those little tiny shrugs, those are the things. They're tacky, they're sticky, those little moments. An audience will grip onto those and they'll go, he's that guy, I like him. And the character didn't need to do that. It's not written to do that. But if an actor brings those little moments, you can suddenly, luckily, find it snowballing and, and, and then you become a bit more substantial. And I was very lucky. It was a very important learning curve, that. It, it was interesting because it was a cast of... I mean, amazing talent in terms of the actors, but all the characters were pretty unlikable in different ways. I mean, you still found things you could relate to and you wanted to follow yeah. them, but they weren't likable characters. But Andy was actually someone that you liked. He was sort of the main... Yes. If you had to choose someone to go over beer with, it'd be Andy yeah. you'd go over beer with because he was actually the one having the fun. And as yeah. I said, a bit goofy, a bit... I guess you were the everyday perspective of everyone in the audience watching, but actually having yeah. fun, fun in it. Yeah, I think that you know, if you look at the Doctor Who format, there is always a there is always um, a companion who does that, who goes, "What is, what is going on?" And actually, that core group of Torchwood that was missing, that wasn't there particularly. Um, I think luckily Andy just fitted that slot, so I think it was, you know, it was it it, it worked for the show as well as me bringing stuff to it. It was an important kind of, um, yeah, just gave it a bit more reality because that's the what's, what's so good about good sci-fi, the things that make you think it's definitely real and there are some sci-fi shows that come along as i've seen a couple on netflix recently that are so sheened and don't have any depth any humor any kind of flaws like that any little moments any idiosyncrasies and they're just they're to use that stickiness analogy they're they're, they're teflon nothing sticks they go it's it's it, there's nothing interesting you want it you, <laughs> let's go with the saucepan analogy you want sticky you want tacky you want a bit of the last meal you had stuck to the thing when you start cooking up a new episode you know you want stuff to to retain and remain and um yeah that definitely happened with andy had you followed doctor who much before you started torchwood yeah i remember i was presenting a show on bbc3 and it was during the start of doctor who and strictly in 2005 when they brought back strictly and doctor who so i was i was very excited about it then i loved doctor who as a kid um uh, I've told this story several times before. Um, Peter Davison, who obviously was my, he was my doctor, and Sylvester um, was mine as well. But um, Peter Davison and I were in a radio sitcom together before any of this, back in two thousand and two, three. Uh, and Peter Davison introduced me to my wife. So, like Doctor Who was already a very important part of my life. I was doing, I was doing this sitcom, uh, and there was a very, very, very gorgeous girl who was uh, the friend of someone else in the cast and afterwards I said to Marianne this person in the cast I was like who's that girl and she went oh that's Beth that's a friend from university I was like oh she needs to come to the show again you need to invite her again because I was like she's when you're doing a radio show you sit when you're not when you're not in your bit you sit on the stage and you face the audience so I just spent the whole time looking around at the audience and there's this girl I was like god I really fancy her so she came back to, to another episode to another recording but she was on a date so I was, I was like, no, Marianne. When I said get Beth to come back, I didn't mean get bring her back with another man. That's not the you've missed this entirely. So afterwards, after the show, we're in the bar, and uh, all the cast are at the bar, and we're looking over in the corner, and there's this girl who I fancied, and she's talking to her date, and suddenly the date stands up and goes to the toilet, and I was like, oh my god, she's by herself. And Peter went right. <laughs> Onwards, team, let's go. So he sort of he gathered the troops and the whole cast of this show. It was a big, full bar. It was the last show. It was the rap party, basically. <laughs> we all stacked it over to her table where she was sitting by herself. So suddenly she's sitting there and she's surrounded by the cast of this thing she's just been watching. Peter sidles up to her and says, who are you here with? And she said, oh, I'm here with this guy. And Peter said, no, you should be here with Tom. And pointed to me. And uh, <laughs> uh, and the rest is history. We now have two kids. So it's thanks to Peter Davison, basically. <laughs> Gosh. Um, okay, so um, originally you yeah you weren't sure how good long you're going to be in it for. They're going to kill you off. Um, well, how much how much influence did Russell actually have in creating Torchwood and in terms of your roles? He, he's only credited for the first episode for the first two seasons. Um, was Russell overseeing a lot of what was happening? Do you know? Oh yeah. Oh, what with Torchwood? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, he was the showrunner. It was totally his. Yeah, yeah. Everything, pretty much everything that happened came from his brain, as so, far as I understand it. Okay, so uh, what was Chris Chibnall's role then? I thought Chris Chibnall was down as the showrunner. Yeah, I, I think, I think. Um, so, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait. So Russell was the showrunner for um, uh, Miracle Day, right? And Children of Earth. 
And Children of Earth, yeah. So, oh, I see. You mean for the first two series of, yes. of Torture? Oh, I see. Yes. That is a good question, because Russell was doing Doctor Who still at that point, wasn't he? He was. Right, yes. So, well, that I, don't, that I, I, I couldn't speak to. I think that... Um, you can certainly see that when Chris was doing it, I was in a few episodes, and then when Russell started doing it, I was in a lot more. All so I'll let I'll let you I'll let you do the mathematics there. Okay, uh, that was a part. Of, you were talking before about the fact that Russell saw something in you. I was just trying to work out how much he was. And I, I, think and he, I, do, I, I yeah, I think he liked. I, we got on really well. I think he liked. Well, I, I, you know, you can get on with Russell, and it doesn't mean he has to give you a part in something. But I think he recognised, from a writer's point of view, what Andy brought to the party, and was like, "Yeah, I need that." So that fits. Great. What was it like doing Miracle Day? Were you actually working in LA? Was there only... Oh God, so good. So good. Like, yeah, just get these moments where you're standing there going, appreciate this. You know, I hope that everyone has this moment in their life where they go, right, just really enjoy this, you absolute lucky wanker. You know, I was in... I was, I was flown out to LA several times and on the Universal lot, standing in my Welsh policeman's uniform, walking past... Conan O'Brien being filmed, I bumped into Russell Brand, who was an old mate from comedy. He was that was, that was hilarious. Went and looked at the Friends studio. Um, lived in Hollywood for you know a few months. It was oh god, it was insane. And this is all from a random audition with Andy Pryor years ago in the middle of doing a sketch show about sex. And suddenly I'm here in Los Angeles. It was insane, insane. So special moments. <laughs> yeah, special moments. Just I, just, I love LA. I've been back a few times. I absolutely loved it. I love the weather. I love the people. I love the opportunity. I love that, you know, you go and hang out in the office and people are saying, you should go and meet this producer. You should go and people always take the meeting, you know, and, and people always say, oh, you know, LA is very false. It's very fake. It's all hot air. Yeah, I mean, sure it is. It is all hot air. It's all, you know, there is a lot of that, but it's still, there's a, there's just this basic building block of enthusiasm this basic unit of I want to hear your idea and I might pretend to like it and I might not like it but ultimately I still want to hear it whereas in the UK the first question is always well who are you before the idea whereas in LA it's always what's the idea oh right okay who are you and that 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 subtle difference makes all the difference do do you find being a stand-up comedian which I know you're much more than that is there a and an attitude amongst other actors in terms of whether you're a real legit actor or not? I think it's changed. I think it, there used to be. There used to be. Um, people would see you doing stuff and wonder where your process was and wonder why you were how you were, you know, in terms of bringing kind of improvisation and a different energy to it when, when some actors would look for rigour and consistency and and quite sort of almost almost an academic approach with comics it's much more instinctive and in the moment uh but i don't think so anymore i think that's changed i think there's a lot of great stand-ups look at john bishop in the new series of doctor who he's a wonderful stand-up and he's a fantastic actor jason manford brilliant stand-up brilliant actor it's it's now more much more of a known quantity that stand-ups can make great actors whereas i think 15 20 years ago there was there would always be a little bit of doubt and there's always an attitude i mean when billy piper you know, was a pop star went into doctor who she, she was you know, before she appeared, copped lots from the fans. I think um, mm. Catherine Tate copped a lot beforehand too. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think yeah. he mentioned John Bishop, even Bradley Walsh. You know, yes, he's, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah. The highlight of the show in lots of times. Yes. Um, so, Miracle Day, was that, was that going to always be the end of Torchwood? I know Russell's partner got sick, so that sort of ended his LA time and he moved back to GB. Yes. Um, I don't know it, that it was. No, I think that it, that has become apparent over time that it it has uh, televisually ended. Um, no, I don't think that was ever the plan. I think that they wanted to do another series, but then, as you say, you know, more important things happened, like Russell's partner getting sick and people moved on. Um, so yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the plan. No. Okay. So 2013, you came to Big Finish for the first time, not doing Torchwood. Was it 2013? 2013. This is very interesting. I didn't. I didn't know that. Okay. That was doing Vienna. So, sure. how, so who approached you? You probably don't remember the show. Do you remember who approached you about coming and working for Big Finish? I've got a clue. Um, no, I think. Uh, I think it was um, David. I think David Richardson. Maybe. I can't remember. He, he'd remember. But um, I just got. I got a call again. Got a call from my agent, uh, and obviously leapt at the opportunity. Um, and. I love doing audio. 
I love the way they work. I love not having to put a costume on or makeup on. Um, and uh, yeah, it's real. It's fun, you know. And also, where they do it, I'm sure you've guests have talked about this before. We we often recorded and hopefully will record in the future at a place called Moat Studios, with Toby. And uh, you get a lot of time in the green room to bitch with the actors. You know, I've had some of the best actor conversations in that green room. I was doing Doctor Who and I talked to Paul McGann about Widnell and I. I mean, can you imagine what that's like to listen to someone talk to you about your this iconic film? Widnell and I was when, for me, everything changed watching Widnell and I as a 15, 16, 17-year-old. And I'm sitting there and he's telling me how he got cast. He's telling me what Richard D. Grant was like. He's telling me about Bruce Robbins. All these things. So... To go and do audio is obviously it's a great acting experience, but also it's a great networking and social experience and also culinary experience because Toby at Moat Studios does the best food in the industry. So it's ticking a lot of boxes for me. And they pay me, unbelievably. <laughs> what do you do for nothing? Yeah, don't tell them that. No, don't tell them that. <laughs> don't listen, don't listen. Um, so your first tour trip back was with uh, Eve Miles more than this. So it was okay. in 2016. Um, sure. what's, it, what, what's it like moving from television to audio? Uh, yeah, it's a, I mean, initially you're a bit sad about it, if I'm brutally honest. You do think a bit like, oh, I preferred it when there was cameras and a set and things I could do with my face. That's your initial thought. But that doesn't last very long. I mean, that's, we're talking half an hour. And then you just think, God, I love this. And you get into it. And then also you start to realise when you're doing radio, you really rip through it. You know, you can really get loads done in a day. Whereas the great frustration with TV acting and film acting is how long it takes. You know, it's very hard to concentrate enough to sort of jump back into this moment again and again many many times for all the different takes whereas when you're doing radio you you take a run up you jump and then you're moving on to the next thing so works quite nicely for the way my brain works i can really focus give everything to this one moment and make it really good and again know that it's good because something about when you're acting there's always a doubt is it going to work and you have to wait to watch it whereas when you're doing radio i find when it's just an audio medium i'll do it and i'll go yeah, I've got that exactly right. Like, I'm really happy. So you do, I feel you get a, a greater satisfaction from it. With the, with When it's TV and film, there's always an element of doubt. Is this going to work? How is it going to be shot? You know, is it going to look okay? Um, should I pull that stupid face? Why was my tongue sticking out? Oh my God, I blinked six times. Whereas when it's just audio, it's purer. How do you prepare a script for audio? I just read it like a fan. You just try and, you forget that you're reading PC Andy lines you know, you just read it as if you were um, someone who loves the world. And I love, I've always loved sci-fi. I've loved, I, like, I grew up watching Star Trek and Quantum Leap, you know, I, and I've always loved the pure escapism of it. And you still get it when you read a radio script, that pure escapism. You completely believe in the world. And you just have to read it as a fan. And then you'd have to learn your lines. You'd have to learn your lines. That's surely that's the best thing about radio. No line learning. Oh, thank God. Do you struggle to learn lines with your ADHD? Yeah, yeah. God, it's, it's a living hell. Yeah, it's a really, it's a big problem because you're so. No matter how well you've learned them, when you end up filming stuff, your brain is just firing off in a thousand different directions. So to stay focused and concentrate, because anxiety triggers my ADHD a lot. If you're anxious and nervous, it makes it go a thousand times higher um so yeah you just have to learn it twice as well you have to learn it ridiculously well now, the, the, the first few things that you did was sort of ensemble with torturers you were doing the outbreak you were doing um the gods among us sort of things but then the sort of one hour character pieces started and those those to me i just adore them they're, they're um i think small casts super inventive super different and so they, they they really take a different style so you actually got your first starring one where pc andy goes on one called ghost machine oh yeah where you were the star like and actually only build now they actually brought samuel barnett in to work with you oh, i as, love as, sam i was gonna ask you how's it like working with samuel because he's ended up being you and him have done lots together yeah i love him we love working together we're the same age something about being the same age i guess um yeah he's just he's very funny <laughs> He's very, very funny. Have you had him on this? Not yet. Oh, you must. He'll, he'll, he's, he's a delight. Um, yeah, you know, some people, you get the chemistry. I think I have it with Eve. I certainly have it with Kai. Where you, if you're planning a scene or a bit, you know, it's not. You just, you don't even need to talk much about what you're going to do. 
you just trust them and you just start doing it and you're just like yeah this is it this is great and you get better and they get better and you and it's this sort of um virtuous circle um and i felt like that working with sam we just it just gets better and better and we just have a really good laugh and it's you know some people take this job very seriously and some people realize that this is fun we're just playing this is just an absolute what a privilege and sam despite all his successes and he's done incredibly well he's a really he's a brilliant actor just knows it's just you're just having fun you're just playing you're just having a laugh and he retains that a lot i think there's a reason they're called plays yes yes exactly it's a big part of improv when you're doing improv they say would you like to come and play with us this come and come you know if you want to do an improv show come and play with us and um, the answer has to be yes yeah it was, always yes and. yes yes and. yes and um that's right and uh you know he's um he just remembers that god it's so important so the other person you've been cast a lot with is Burn Gorman. Ugh, oh, such a dick. Unbearable. <laughs> that guy. Who does he think he is? Yeah, he's he's a delight as well. He's very funny, but very different energy to Sam. Oh, hello, can you hear that? So, you know what that is? That's the Monday morning leaf blower. Can you hear that? Obviously, we're in autumn. Oh, right? yes. <laughs> and someone's... No, people don't use brooms anymore. Um, yeah, so Burn Gorman and I... Um, I wouldn't say we were best mates when we were doing Torchwood. We never had any scenes together in Torchwood when we were filming it. We never really saw much of each other. Maybe at a rap party or whatever. Um, weirdly, he was uh, he was in a play with Ralph Little years before Torchwood that was on before a play I was doing at the Soho Theatre. So we used to share a dressing room together. So I knew him a bit from then, but we were never really mates. But then doing the Big Finish stuff, we've just got on so well. Like he's really funny. He's he's a deeply sarcastic dry humoured man and um yeah he makes me laugh a lot and I love what he does I love what you, he does you'd never tell he was like that from the Torchwood extra I <laughs> know no, I'm not sorry I'm not I'm not bringing anything new to the party here but um uh yeah he's he's great just briefly talking about Red Base which was one of the ones that um I loved in terms of you it's, it's set on I'm not sure you remember the Red Base one set on supposed to be set on Mars but you're yep. just walking with a uniform and once again, this this is the one where you are the star. There's, like PC Andy gets his whole episode, no sidekick in this one. Oh, so finally, are you listening, Russell? Are you listening? Look what I could bring to Doctor Who. I can even do a Dalek. When you get a script like that, are you? How do you feel in terms of they're now throwing the whole show on you? You've got the whole disc to yourself. Um, finally, I think finally, justice, justice is oh. here. Ghost Mission was probably supposed to be the same thing. It's just that Samuel Barnett ended up being so popular they kept bringing him back. Dickhead. Absolute dickhead. So annoying. <laughs> your, your support, Samuel. You're number two on the cast list, my friend. Um, how do I feel when that happens? I just... Uh, honestly, I, you know what? I don't think about it too much. It's a bit like when I'm doing my live radio show. I don't think there are, whatever it is, a million people listening. I just get on with doing it and I you know it's a real cliche sorry to not be more interesting Philip but you take it a scene at a time and you just throw yourself into each scene and if you think oh my god this is all on me I hope hope I'm telling a compelling story here I hope people like Andy I hope people believe that Andy's scared I hope people believe that he's feeling all these emotions if you think like that you get up in your head and you lose your mind the thing to do is just is just take it a page at a time and go with it and when you've been doing a character for as long as I've done Andy you know uh it's it's just um it's like slipping into an old dressing gown. It's lovely. It just feels very natural and I just enjoy it. I just love it. You know, it's just great fun. Starbase dome breached. Terminal atmosphere leak. Mars is lost. From Big Finish Productions. Torchwood. Red Base. The airlock's closed behind me. What's the weather like out there? Just a balmy Martian morning. Heading towards the rock face now. You getting this? We've got your feed. And I'm taking samples now. What the hell? Me? Stay back! You can't be here! You can't! Me? Can you see this? It's impossible. He's... he's not... he's not wearing a spacesuit. What are you doing here? This is Mars! No! No, stay back! Good afternoon. Wondering if I could have a word. I'm from Torchwood. Big Finish. We love stories. Are you gonna kill me? Go back to your room, remember, Andy? Sleep tight. I actually listened to Red Base today to, uh, oh. to catch up before we started. Oh, and I, I, I okay. mentioned the extras before, and 
the extras on that were quite interesting. You were much more concerned with being not on the cover of a of a Doctor Who CD <laughs> than uh, they than the actual in. red outrageous. base. Outrageous! <laughs> Listen, you know, I am uh, sadly my my lawyers say I'm not allowed to talk about this. There are legal procedures happening. Tom Price versus Big Finish. They always put me right on the side because they took a load of pictures of me very much in profile. So it's good if the, if you're doing one of those big cast photos, I fit well on the end. Furious. <laughs> uh, so you're actually coming to the main show now with Stratus and so now appearing with Paul McGann and doing the whole on earth thing. Have you found much of a difference in terms of um, the, the style and feel going from a torture into Doctor Who? Uh, I, there are differences. Yeah, there are definitely differences. I think um, Torchwood is the is the naughty younger sibling, so it wants to be naughty and it wants to be more playful. Doctor Who, you feel the pressure of the brand a bit. I think people want it to work, um, but that sounds negative. It's not negative. It's just people take it slightly more. It's it's sometimes things are thought through a bit more, um, and uh, ultimately though, it's still just telling great stories. And I think. Uh, it's lovely bringing the Andy energy to the audio Doctor Who's. I think um, Andy shouting Doctor is one of my favourite things. Doctor! Doctor! I just love, like, the first moment I found myself doing that, I was so excited. So good, you know? It's just, God, it's it's so trite and cliche to say, but it is a dream come true, like, to be doing Doctor Who stuff. Uh, and to be able to do it from the comfort of my own home is an absolute joy. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Also, I would say that with Doctor Who, there's, there's often more going on. Torchwood, certainly the ones I've done recently, have become these slightly stripped-down affairs, minimal casts, big ideas, people, more of a kind of intimate character study. Whereas Doctor Who, there's it's it's bigger. There's more stuff happening. There's more scenes with different people. Um, so you just have to nail those scenes. So have you been filming mostly from home? Recording mostly from home? Yeah, sadly. I've done a few in the studio. Um, we, we're slowly starting to do more in the studio now, but um, yeah, mostly from home. We're, and there's quite a few actors who live around here. And the other day there was a helicopter. There was a police helicopter, and it took out four actors. Because <laughs> we all live in North London. <laughs> with uh, with directors, you've obviously Ken Bentley's doing Stranded. You've got Scott Hancock does the Torchwoods mostly, but you've done some with Lisa Bauman as well. What yeah. do, do you notice any different styles with these uh, directors? Is there anything you can pinpoint, or are they all pretty much the same? Um, I think they, you know, they all bring different stuff. Um, they all bring different stuff to the show. Um, some directors want to serve the story. Some directors want to serve you more, if you know what I mean. So Ken, for example, is think always thinking about the story. Um, and that is the, m- the most important thing. And well, he's not an actor, that, is he? No, but as a result, that can make you um, that can make your performance better. Weirdly, because you are thinking the story is the most important thing, and suddenly, hey presto! If you're if you're delivering lines with that in mind, it really, you know, it does bring out the best in you. So that's you're getting the end result is the same, but it's just a slightly different route. Whereas Scott will think about the character, will think about Andy a bit more, and Lisa's the same. I think. Um, it's good to have people, Lisa does this, question what Andy's up to. Why is he doing that? And Lisa's very interested to hear stuff you want to do. If you're like, can we try that? She, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, would Andy do that? Okay, great. You know, she's very, very enthusiastic and bouncy about that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's um, it's it's all uh, it's all different, but it all, it's all ends up sounding much the same, I hope. Actually, listening to, to, to you and Byrne and Scott in particular... On the extras, I'm not quite sure how you actually get anything done. <laughs> you sound like you're having too much fun. <laughs> well, you know, it's... um, Yeah. But often you hear those at the end of the day when we finished. So everyone's a bit excited that we finished. So everyone's just a bit like... Ah, 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 and we've all been gabbling all day. So it's nice to be... It's it's often a release of pressure because you do feel the pressure when you've got stacks and stacks of pages in front of you. And for, you know budget reasons you've got to get through this stuff in a day um so when you've done it you're quite elated and then they start recording the podcast and you're like yeah so last to be released was the um ashenden so once one more time to total soho uh, with samuel um are you really enjoying the, the opportunity to go back in the past um and explore other facets of andy yes yes i love well i'm a big fan of um 
as James Gosses as well. I love sort of London Second World War stuff. I'm, I'm really love all that stuff. And any kind of dipping back into the past is is great. I've always been obsessed with time travel um, films and, and books and TV shows. Um, and I think that uh, yeah, Andy is always very good at doing a kind of wide-eyed wonder at stuff. So him doing that with time travel is is a very neat fit. So yeah, I love doing that. So you got much more coming up in terms of. Um, recording he's hoping to get back to studio soon yeah I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you I've got th- I'm doing something I am doing something so what's your hopes for the future where where are you hoping to go personally um, wow professionally it's a huge question to, to end on Philip um, I well I mean I really want to carry on doing stuff I would love to try and write a Torchwood that is something I really want to try and do next year um, and uh, yeah keep on keeping on really I think um I think to try and take Andy in new directions to try and keep doing more of the Doctor Who stuff as well. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd love to see Andy... Talking about Andy, I'd like to see him in a more domestic setup. I think it's an interesting thing. I know that he had, he's had various relationships over the course of the shows, but I think it'd be quite fun to see him maybe have kids. Something like that could be hilarious. Um, so that's what I'd like to see with Torchwood and Doctor Who. In terms of what I'm up to, yeah, just to keep writing, really, and hoping that the podcast carries on growing and keep looking out for those acting roles and all the usual bits and bobs, really. Great. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. We've really enjoyed meeting you. And you My actually, pleasure. You are, you are our first Torchwood person, actually. So. Oh, really? What an honour. Oh, my God. They're not all as nice as me, you know, just to warn you. Well, I've heard that. So we started with the nice ones. We know it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Good. I'm going to tell them you said that. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Eighth Doctor Adventures, Stranded Three. I am on an alien planet. Cup of tea? We're on the edge of the known universe, and you're putting on the kettle. Home comforts. Embrace it. Like, I've seen extraordinary things popping up in the most ordinary of places. But now I'm here, in the most extraordinary place I've ever visited. I kind of just want to do ordinary things. Are you sure this is a good idea? I wish people wouldn't keep asking me questions like that. It's starting to get demoralising. I don't want us getting complacent. It's a dangerous thing to become right now. Rhythm. Routine. That's what'll see us through. All extraterrestrial phenomena are the exclusive property of divine intervention. Something is wrong. Run! We'll take the TARDIS. And we'll take this place. You will not, you vicious minx. We're not settling the bill in a restaurant. We're playing with human history. We're not playing. I take human history very seriously indeed. That's the thing with time travel. Things change. And once they're changed, they stay changed. Something came through the letterbox. Down. Big finish. We love stories. All right, Philip. So uh, so how was that? Our first Torchwood guest. Thank you so much, Tom Price, for coming on. Yes, Tom, thank you for sharing, being so honest with us, and just having a laugh. It was great. Fantastic. All right, we might go straight into our recommendations, eh? What do you think? That sounds a good idea. Whose turn would it be, Dwayne? Um, let me just check. Uh, my note says... See, I've, I've actually got it written in a notebook. Uh, Excellent. It is, it is your turn. My turn. Okay, I'll yeah. go then. Um, I am going to recommend the podcast we were talking about uh, on the show. Uh, my mate bought me a toaster. So it's Tom Price and comedians. He's getting a whole range of different comedians. Um, I must admit, I don't know most of them. Coming from Australia, they're not Australian comedians. Um, those of you in the UK, I'm sure you would know a lot more of the names. I mean, there's some of them I know. Um, and Julian Clary was the first one I listened to because I knew him. But it's just a chance for, as I said, Tom just gets them to send him his Amazon list and he just goes through what they've bought in the last 10, 15 years from Amazon and it just starts a conversation and the conversation just goes off everywhere. So it, it, it is very rarely on the item, but it's just a, a start off board to going in, into having a conversation and having a few laughs. And it's very cleverly composed. Um, being comedians, they're all very quick-witted and they jump into ideas fast and they all affirm each other. So the, the conversation just goes really smoothly. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. So um, I hadn't heard of it before this week when I was doing some research. But yeah, my mate had bought me a toaster on all the good podcast services. Sounds great. Hmm. What about you, Dwayne? What are you going to recommend? 
Well, I'd like to recommend a recent Torchwood release that doesn't feature Tom Price. Sorry, Tom. Uh, but I have to say, it's written by James Goss, who we've been singing his praises about, particularly his Torchwood writing this entire episode. And that was last month's release, The Great Sontaran War. It is my favourite Torchwood so far. There's only two months to go uh, in, in the year. Uh, we've got a... We've, got one with ace coming up soon at the time of recording it'll this be out month, by, the, yes. by the time you hear this i think it's coming out next week at the time of recording but the great sontaran war is uh, a james goss written script featuring dan starkey as a sontaran and it is all set in a caravan park now a sontaran in a caravan park that premise would make you think it is absolutely ridiculous how can that possibly work it is something it is almost indescribable philip you have got to you have got to hear it to believe it. It also stars Gareth David Lloyd as Yanto. And it is seriously, seriously the best Torchwood in a long time. And they're, they're all pretty good. So I don't know if you agree with me on that, Philip, but I was just blown away by that story. Yeah, I mean, this whole year has been amazing. But yes, a Sontaran with a pet cat in a caravan Yes, park. yes, yes. Pet cat. And, and, and yes, it, there were so many moments in which I, I laughed and laughed, but there's also a lot of pathos in it. And yeah, there's moments in which I got quite choked up. So it, it swings the whole game. As I was saying before, Torchwood just can do everything. This is more comedy, but it also has a, um, some major points to make as well. Well, yeah. it's not just comedy, yeah. No. It's not just comedy. I came away not with feeling like my funny bone had been tickled like it was a laugh a minute, because it's not. It's not a laugh a minute. But I came away feeling, because Torchwood is often very, very dark and disturbing and it makes you feel a bit icky sometimes, I came away from this feeling very, very happy. And not often, it's not often Torchwood does that. And uh, so I can highly recommend this, The Great Sontaran War, grab it. You, you won't regret it. Absolutely not. That is it. That's it for this time, Philip. Excellent. What could possibly be next? Who knows? Whatever comes up in the order. <laughs> so, Marvelous Night, thank you so much, Dwayne. Yes, and thank you for watching and listening. Make sure you uh, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, throw us a comment and follow us on whatever podcasting app you are listening to us on. It's uh, great to have you with us. So, uh, thanks for that. We'll catch you all next time. This has been The Sirens of Audio, Episode 91. I'm on the cover somewhere with our special guest, Tom Price, and your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Theme music by the Jackpot Golden Boys. Thanks very much for dropping some feedback for us if you're listening, and a like if you're watching. We really appreciate it. Our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram handles are all at Audio Sirens, and our website is sirensofaudio.com. And if you're stuck in the dark, Unable to choose your next oral entertainment, perhaps a torch would help. Because audio drama rocks! rocks.